Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 32, and I invite you to turn to that place. We'll commence reading at the verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. Just for the month of August, I'll be attempting to preach miscellaneously on certain subjects that the Lord has laid in my heart. And then in September, we'll return to our studies as we continue with the book of Colossians to expound it verse by verse. But just for this month, given it's the holiday time still, rather than return to that book, I want us to think of a few subjects, as I've said, the Lord has put on my heart. And we certainly value your prayers at this time. Numbers chapter 32 We'll read verses 1 through to 19. The Word of God. Remember, we're reading the Word of God. We're reading from the authorized version. And for those online, the words will come up on the screen. But we would encourage you to get a copy of the Bible and uh, read and see for yourself as well as hear. Let's hear God's Word. Numbers 32, verse 1. Now, the children of Reuben... And the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eliezer the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, and Dibon, and Jazer, and Nimrah, and Heshbon, and Eliah, and Shebam, and Nebo, and Beon, even the country which the Lord spoke before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants of cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And when they went up unto the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he sware, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upwards shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneth, the Kesanite, And Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men, to augment Yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. 
And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them into their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. But we will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side Jordan eastward. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 19. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text today is taken from Numbers chapter 32 verses 6 and 7. Listen to the word of God. It reads as follows. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war? And shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Now I've entitled this sermon The Danger of Driving Discouragement. Now these words were spoken by Moses. They were directed especially at the tribe of Gab and Reuben. They were standing on the eastern side of the river Jordan. And these words were part of Moses' response to a proposal that was put to him by the children of Reuben and the children of Gad. And at the heart of this proposal was this. If you look at verse 5, Wherefore said they, If we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Now let me put it in its historical context. The children of Israel's 40-year wilderness wanderings were about to end. They were now on the verge of entering into the land of Canaan, the land of promised inheritance, a land, of course, that they weren't going to enjoy without a fight to possess any or all of it against the enemy. Now remember, 40 years earlier, they had not gone in to take this land because of the evil report of the ten spies. The ten spies were filled with fear. They saw the giants. They saw the walled cities. And they said, these are impossible obstacles for us to overcome. It can't be done. And of course, it was a complete failure in their part to trust the Lord. It was really saying to the Lord, you are not able to do this for us. You can't bring us into this land. So for 40 years, remember, they wandered in the wilderness. For 40 years, they remained in their unbelief. And every one of that generation from 20 years upwards died off, all except Moses, the leader, and except Joshua and Caleb. Keep in mind, they didn't enter in 40 years earlier because of their unbelief. So 40 years have passed. You're with me? Finally, the time has come to go in. And as a token of the Lord's grace and help and power, he enabled them to defeat two kings, which is now the land of Jordan, King Sihon of Gezer and King Og of Gilead. As I've said, 
that now forms the territory of the Jordanian land. It's east of the river Jordan. And just as the children of Israel are about to go in and possess the land, a problem arose. It was a big problem, another headache for Moses. This was it. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, came to him with a proposal. And their proposal was this. Give us this land, the land of Gilead, the the land of Gezer that we have just conquered, the land east of the Jordan River for our inheritance. Do not bring us over Jordan. You see, they were farmers. They were cattle ranchers. Uh, This new land that they had uh, entered into and seen and fought for was excellent for the rearing of sheep and cows and bullocks. And they didn't want to go forward. They didn't want an inheritance in the land of Canaan. They didn't want to cross the river Jordan. Now Moses, of course, to put it mildly, wasn't happy. In fact, in his heart and mind, he was probably enraged at the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. He reiterated to them in their presence what happened 40 years earlier at Kadesh Barnea when all of the children of Israel turned back from going into the land and the consequences that flowed from it, 40 years of unbelief. In plain language, you see, Moses understood the effect that this proposal would have, not only on the tribe of Reuben and Gad, but in particular, the rest of the tribes. Listen to what he says. Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? What's he saying? He's saying to them, this proposal was wrong. You're saying, don't make us cross the Jordan. Don't make us go into the land and fight. Don't make us to go forward. We've got our inheritance here now. But do you not realize this proposal's fleshly? This proposal's all about yourself? This proposal, of course, is going to have a devastating effect on the rest of the children of Israel. Now think of it. Some of God's people were refusing to go forward. Refusing to make spiritual progress refusing to do their duty and fulfill their responsibility to the rest of the congregation. Some of God's people unwittingly, unconsciously, were being tools of the devil in offering such a discouraging proposal. Let me ask a question. Can a child of God be a tool of discouragement among the people of God? And the answer is yes. And you see, I want you to understand something this morning. A discouraged Christian is a weakened Christian. A discouraged Christian is a fearful Christian. A discouraged Christian is not thinking right. A discouraged Christian is full of fear. A discouraged Christian is full of unbelief. A discouraged Christian is not willing to trust in the Lord. A discouraged Christian has no confidence in the Lord's ability to work. And a discouraged Christian is sadly ineffective in service. A discouraged Christian, of course, is also given to bouts of depression. And a discouraged Christian can infect other Christians. You see, 
our discouragement can be contagious because our discouragement can affect others. And Moses knew that. And Moses was very unhappy with this suggestion. So you don't want to cross the Jordan. So you don't want to go and fight for your brethren. You want to stay in the eastern side. You want to sit in ease and comfort. And you, you don't want to, to go and assist your brethren to uh, inherit their promised inheritance. Do you realize, Reuben? Do you realize, God? What you have just proposed will have a devastating effect on the rest of the congregation of Israel. Now, after this incident that took place, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, went back, they discussed the matter, and then they come back with a, another proposal. And the proposal this time was about housing their families, building sheepfold and castle houses, and then they promised that they would go armed before all of Israel over the Jordan until the children of Israel had inherited it all. Moses, of course, agreed to this arrangement, and they told him that if they would do this, that they could have the land of Gezer and the land of Gilead and the eastern side of the river Jordan for their inheritance. And you can read about what Moses actually said in the rest of the chapter, uh, verses 20, right down to uh, verse uh, 28. But listen to what the Word of God says in the book of Joshua. If I do a cross-reference in the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua chapter 4, let me read verses 12 and 13. Because here's the historical fulfillment of this uh, additional proposal. This is what took place. It says here, Joshua 4 verse 12, And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh pass over arm before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. Now the danger of driving discouragement as a subject got me thinking. And as I thought of this historical incident and this, we'll call it an indecent proposal, I've asked myself, well, what lessons can we learn from it? And I came up with four. There may be others. Here's the first lesson. The danger of sinning against the word of God. Look back at Numbers chapter 32. It says in verse 5, and bring us not over Jordan. The Reubenites and the Gadites were saying, we do not want to cross the Jordan River. And I believe that was a failure in their part to realize that they could not enter into their promised inheritance without crossing the Jordan. Now, I've already made reference to the historical fulfillment, Joshua 4, verses 12 and 13. Who was the first to lead the way across the river? It was not Judah. It was Reuben and Gad. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of, Mo, uh, of Manasseh, as Moses spake unto them. You see, there could be no exceptions. They must all cross over. And we're taught in the scriptures, that's what they did. It was the Reubenites and the Gadites that led the way. I want you to see that. You see, there's a spiritual significance there. Think of the River Jordan. It's a symbol of death. 
The land of Canaan spiritually is a land of promised inheritance. It's a spiritual picture of the new life that we have in Christ. A symbol of the life of rest and blessing and enjoying all that God has for us in Christ. If you think of the Ark of the Covenant, if you read Joshua chapter 4 very carefully, the Ark of the Covenant was carried by the priests down into the River Jordan as the rivers parted and the walls of the uh, river uh, became walls for the children of Israel to uh, pass through uh, with a passage safely. But think of the Ark uh, of the Covenant borne by the priests that stood in the riverbed. The riverbed, of course, uh, the water dried up to let the people cross over. And that's a wonderful picture of the life and death and victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in his person and work. And these Old Testament truths, they were to teach us great spiritual lessons because the Ark of the Covenant and the people of God crossing the Jordan into Canaan, the land of promise inheritance, is a picture of the Christian life, of, of entering into that life, of enjoying that life, of experiencing that life. And here's in the midst of this picture, the Lord Jesus, symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant, stood in the place of death for his people. And by standing in the place of death for us, he, he dealt with death. He, he, he dried up death in that sense. He took its sting away. He destroyed its power that it, it held over us. So he, he stood in death for us. He, he, he finished that work so that every one of his covenant children could safely pass over. And that included the two and a half tribes, Reuben and Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh, the men of that tribe, all the family heads, the representative of the entire number. They did cross the Jordan. Why? Because no one could enter into the promised inheritance without it. And there could be no exception to the rule. Get the picture. There's no entrance into life. No entrance into spiritual blessing. No entrance into spiritual inheritance apart from entering through the Jordan. And spiritually it applies to Christ. No inheritance into life. No life of spiritual blessing. No spiritual inheritance apart from Jesus Christ and the merits of his person and work. The men of Reuben, the men of Gad, had to cross the Jordan. There was going to be no inheritance for them. No life for them without that. And is not what the scripture teaches? Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I want to say this morning, I want to press it home in a spiritual sense. If you don't enter into life through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never enter into life at all. You will never enter the Christian life. Unless you have Christ as your Redeemer, you will have no Redeemer. Unless you have Christ as your once and for all sacrifice for sin, you'll have no sacrifice for sin. Unless you have Christ as the mediator of the new covenant, you, you will have no mediator. Unless you have Christ for salvation, you have no salvation. Did he not say, John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Do we not read in Hebrews 10 and 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Do you see the significance here? A failure on their part to realize that they couldn't enter into their promised inheritance without first crossing the Jordan. And there's no life of blessing for anyone 
outside of and apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you must be found in Christ. You see, many today are religious in Northern Ireland. And they're on the church roll and have a connection with a, a religious establishment. And they might go on the Lord's Day once or they might even go twice. Many are respectable individuals. They're good in their own eyes. They're good in the eyes of others. Many are um, righteous people. They're moral. They pay their taxes. They're truthful. Uh, they live by their own rules and standards. But the issue is not being religious or respectable or being righteous. It's, it's about being redeemed. And if you're not a child of God found in Christ and redeemed by the precious blood, do you realize in the context of your family, you're discouraging your family. You're discouraging your mother. You're discouraging your father. If you're a wife whose husband's not saved, you're discouraging the life of your husband. And if you're a father and mother and you're saved and going on with God and your children are not you children that are still without Christ, living by your own rules and standards, you're a big discouragement to father. You're a big discouragement to your mother. And it's heartbreaking. And I want you to realize that. You're driving discouragement. Your discouragement, your choice, your lifestyle has a big impact and effect on others. So that's the first danger that we see. The danger of sinning against the word of God. Because what does the word of God say? Repent and believe the gospel. And if there's a failure in your part to do that, you're sinning against the word of God. I want you to think secondly, the danger of selfishness against the word of God. You see, when I thought of this, I asked myself, what's driving the mindset of the Reubenites and the Gadites? What were they thinking of? Well, they were thinking of their own comfort. Look at verse 4. It says, Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle. See, they saw that. And notice these words, And thy servants have cattle. And if we link it up with verse 1, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, Behold, the place was a place for cattle. They wanted it. And there was a lot of rationalization going on in their head. You see, God had blessed them materially. They didn't want for anything. They had their cattle. They had milk. They had meat. They had leather. Uh, they had wool. They had skins. They had oxen. They had heifers. They had bullocks. And these were all a blessing from the Lord. It's not what James teaches us. In James 1 and verse 17, we um, often... Sing it by way of a hymn at the harvest time. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And they were thinking, well, God has already blessed us. Here's a land here for us. We don't have to go any further. This land is already green and fertile. Let's stay here. And they couldn't face going over the Jordan. They couldn't face fighting again and it was a failure in their part to see how selfish they were when it came to the work of God you see as I've already said the Jordan is a symbol of death the Jordan River but it's a symbol to death to a life of sin death to the old man 
and entering into a new life in Christ, a life of sacrifice, a life of service, a life of sanctification. And the Reubenites and the Gadites were forgetting the question, what is the will of God for me in relation to that life of sacrifice and service and sanctification? The Reubenites, the Gadites, didn't want to cross the Jordan. They didn't want to live in the land. They're content to live in the land of Gilead and the land of Gezer. On the eastern side, you see, it was deliberate. It was calculated. But it was offensive because it impacted on the work of God. And it, it portrayed a great inconsistency in their lives. You think of how many individuals profess to be saved, profess to be a believer. They say, well, the Lord, he is my God. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I have all these wonderful promises from him. And especially in trouble and trial, I can lean and rest on the promise. Yet their life is so inconsistent. Why? Because at their heart, they're full of self. It's not the master first. It's me first. It's my life, not the Lord's life in and through me. You see, remember the scripture, Matthew chapter 6 and 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto me. You think of the impact that this was going to have on the other nine and a half tribes. They had been together for 40 years. They had wandered the wilderness together for 40 years. And then when this news would break, the two and a half tribes are not going with us over the Jordan. We're not going to fight for our inheritance together. They're not going to do it with us. You see, that would have a big impact in hindering the work of God going forward. I want to say this morning in relation to Carrie Duff, it's not for the visitors, but primarily for myself and for us as God's people. The work of God's people in Carrie Duff needs the involvement of all of God's people. I don't want you to think that we don't want you at every service on the Lord's Day. For we do. I don't want you to think that, well, I'll not be missed if I'm not at the prayer meeting. Because I want to tell you it will be. And I want to tell you we need your help when it comes to outreach. We need your help when it comes to the children's ministry here. And I appreciate that we have our families. And I appreciate that some has a business to run and a farm. But I want to say this morning that we as God's people must work unitedly. We must do it heartily. We have to do it joyfully and willingly. Think of a body. The members of our body all working together so that we can live out our life and enjoy it and experience it. Think of the 12 tribes. Was there a needless part of any tribe? Was there a need for one less or two less? The answer is no. There was a need for every man. And Moses couldn't have individual men and Reuben and Gad looking out for number one. He heard this proposal. Nine and a half, he knew we're going to cross over the Jordan and fight. Two and a half were saying we're not going to go. And he's asking them, what? Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? Think of the impact of those words. 
sit here. You're not going to help to bring your brethren across the Jordan. What you're doing is putting number one first. You're acting in self-interest. This is not right. It's not the will of God. Because it will impact on the work of God. You see, they didn't realize, I think, until later, that their suggestion would hurt the people of God. That their suggestion would affect the work of God. They couldn't see that they were blind. They, they couldn't see, well, what is best for the whole church, the whole congregation of Israel. They were blind to what the work of God is because they were living for self. They were living inconsistent lives. They were living for their own interests. The Bible teaches us in relation to love in 1 Corinthians 13 that true love seeketh not its own. And isn't there a lesson here for us when it comes to Christian service? When it comes to Christian stewardship? We need to get beyond personal aim and ambition. We need to, to, to think of teamwork. Every one of us working together. Some wanted to sit in the eastern side, be onlookers and be a spectator. Wishing their brethren well but full of unbelief. We don't believe it's going to happen. We're content with our inheritance here. We'll say a prayer for you, but we don't believe it. We're not going to give ourselves wholly to it. We're not going to give ourselves unitedly and joyfully and willingly for it. They were, they were heartless. And you know, whenever a preacher's heartless or an elder or a deacon or a member is heartless, then it impacts upon the work of God. If their heart is not in it. You see the heart of a true servant. Is to give oneself to it. To that task. And to be an example to lead others into blessing. And into encouragement. And it applies to all of God's work. Missionary work. It applies to the work of an evangelist at home and abroad. It applies to the children's work, to the youth work, to the outreach work. It, 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 it applies to the practical support of God's works. Whoever opens the door, whoever does the cleaning, whoever plays the organ, whoever cleans the toilet, whoever makes the tea. You see, it's not let somebody else do it. Once we take it seriously and say the Lord has a place for me. The Lord has a, a placement for all of us. And you sense and see what that placement is. Then you must take it to your heart. And you must do it wholeheartedly and do it unto the Lord. And if you don't take it and if you don't do it. Then you're going to be a driving discouragement by your actions and by your words. To, to, to those all around us. Now you've heard it said, well, God helps those who help themselves. I remember hearing Dr. Alan Kearns, the late Alan Kearns, uh, saying, but uh, that's wrong because it ignores God's sovereignty. But then he added, but there's a sense in which it's true. And I never forgot that. You see, with God at the center, God, remember, works on behalf of his people who willingly and heartily and joyfully give themselves to it. A life of service, a life of sanctification, a life of stewardship. 
where there's hardship and deprivation and, and self-denial. You know, we're, we're praying in the land of Ulster, Lord, send us revival. Don't we want revival? Well, how's revival going to come? It won't come in a vacuum. We must give ourselves to prayer and fasting. I believe that. I believe that's the greatest need of Northern Ireland at this minute in time. It's, it's not economics. It's not merely the lifting of all these restrictions and the end of coronavirus, and we want that. But the most greatest pressing need for Northern Ireland is for the Lord to send a heaven-sent revival of true Bible-believing religion. And we want that. We say we want that. I, I want that. But I've been challenged these past two weeks and before this. Am I willing to give myself to see that fulfilled? Let me tell you something else I want. I'm being very personal here this morning. I want to see new families and carried off FPC. I want to see other souls led to Christ. We've labored here for seven months of the year now, into the eighth month, and I haven't led one soul to Christ this whole year. And it's impacting upon me. And I've asked, Lord, well, we want to see this. How is it going to come about? Well, I have to give myself to that work, heartily and willingly and joyfully and yet sacrificially. We're praying, Lord, send us personal workers. Lord, send us children's workers. Lord, send us Sunday school teachers. Lord, send us children. Send us uh, mummies and daddies with little children for the work of God. And you see, the question is, Will we see it realized? Will it happen? Can it happen? I believe it can. I believe it will. But it won't happen in a vacuum, folks. It'll only happen when we give ourselves our heart to it. When we want it to take place. So we'll give ourselves to prayer and fasting and we'll do everything that we can to, to see it realized with God's help. Because God does help those who help themselves. With him at the center. But if we're cold and indifferent, if we're full of self, if it's the motivating factor that's driving us as me first, then it won't happen. I want you to recognize that here the Lord has a place for us, a work for us to do. But it, it, it's a united work. It's a good work. But every one of us needs to be involved as we go into the autumn towards that work. And if I have an individual that acts selfishly, whose heart is not really in it, who doesn't believe that it can happen and go forward, then that will affect the other members of the work of God. So that's the second thing I learned. Wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. The, the third thing is this, this driving discouragement, the danger of it is of shrinking against the warfare of God. You, you see, listen to this question, I'll be very brief here. Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? You see, they wanted to avoid the war. There's a conflict, there's a war to fight. God's children are not only sons in a family, but they're soldiers in an army. We're chosen to be sons, yes, but we're also chosen to be soldiers. And there's a war to fight with an enemy. And it's a daily conflict. It's an ongoing conflict against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world, the flesh, and the devil is seeking to attack us and bring us down. And Moses recognized if the Reubenites and the Gadites don't go, there'll be less men to fight. 
In fact, 40,000 is mentioned in Joshua chapter 4. Think of that. The impact of 40,000 men of war not going. Desertion in the time of war was a serious offense. And Moses realized that. They had a duty. They had a responsibility. And of course, you see, we're in a conflict. There's a spiritual war. I value your prayers for this autumn work. Because many preachers are turning away and aside to another gospel. Many preachers are breaking down the wall of separation. Many preachers sadly have fallen into gross moral sins. Many preachers have have engaged in what I call a populist message. And it's bringing discouragement into the, the hearts and minds of God's people. And of course, you see, when God's people themselves are not united and not working together for the common good, it impacts not only in the word of God and the work of God, but it impacts in the spiritual warfare. There's a shrinking back. There's a pulling back. Now, cold-heartedness and unbelief and lack of love and petty jealousies and infighting has always been a problem. It's always plagued the, the, the people of God. But it impacts on our duty. It impacts on our responsibility. They wanted sheep foals when they should have been standing with their swords and shields in the forefront of the battle. Sheep foals in a time of war. Oh, let's search our hearts. Remember we read in the scriptures, Psalm 78 and verse 9, that Ephraim turned back in the day of battle. Think of that. The day of battle. It's set in array. It's about to start. And where's Ephraim? We're, we're away home. Bye-bye. Can, could, could you just picture that? And the discouragement that that would send throughout the rest of the army that was there to fight the enemy. If our hearts are full of fear and hearts are full of unbelief and our hearts are full of self and even if we think of our own personal comfort and and think of legitimate things but I've got a responsibility to my family and responsibility to my business and responsibility to my my farm. Let's remember this. That is right. But we could trust the Lord to look after the family, the farm. We, we can trust the Lord to do these things and, and, and not neglect our duty in relation to this spiritual warfare. And I have one final thing and our time is gone. The danger of standing against the will of God. You see, Moses warned them, if you go down this path and you insist in this course of action and you stand by your proposal full of stubborn pride. Let me tell you how this will blight you. And let me tell you how it will blight the rest of the children of Israel. You'll not enter into your inheritance and you'll be sinning against the Lord. Remember what he says, verse 15, for if you turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness and ye shall destroy all this people. You know, one of the key things that we need, and I was thinking about this in um, Tandragee at the 12th day of July at the top of the town. We're trying to bring a few words. And it's loyalty. Loyalty. Isn't loyalty missing today among many of God's dear people? Not so much the, the older people, but especially among the young people. Being faithful to someone, to something And I'm convinced that loyalty is lost in the majority of this generation. And especially a loyalty to do 
the will of God. To get before the Lord and say, Lord, what's your will for my life? It's not what I want. Lord, you have saved me now. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, show me the place. Lord, show me the gifts and talents you've given to him. Lord, show something else that that can guide me into that fulfillment. That's what I mean by loyalty. The Reubenites and the Gadites were guilty of disloyalty. Not only to the Lord, but to the rest of the congregation. That's what I mean by the danger of driving discouragement. Your choices, your words, your lifestyle will have an impact on each of us and have an impact on the work of God. I want to encourage you to come to the house of God. Two services in the Lord's day. I want you to encourage you to come to the prayer meeting and the Bible study. I want to encourage you to give yourself to prayer and to fasting. I want you to encourage others to come to the house of God, to listen into the internet, but to come personally. I want to encourage you in relation to the children's ministry, the outreach, as we re-engage these things. And I want you to stand with us in this work so we can go forward together, willingly, unitedly, joyfully and gladly, as unto the Lord. Let's stand against driving discouragement. Let's stand for encouraging one another in the Lord. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.